0: I just think this is the weirdest thing, sitting in a room talking to an audience of no one. It's always been the weirdest part of this podcast to me. As difficult and as challenging as it's been for an introverted guy like me to go backstage and talk to artists or even have them come to a studio where I'm kind of in my den and do the research and ask questions and not stumble and bumble all over my stumbling, bumbling self. I feel I'm getting good at that part. I'm still not great at it. If you've listened to enough of these episodes, you know this is still a work in progress, even though it's been going on for about five, six years now. But tonight, for the first time, I'm talking to myself in my own house, which still seems crazy. (laughs) At a radio station, at least, you're in the environment. But here I'm a crazy guy talking to himself in the basement. I got buttons behind me, my Westie. He's like half asleep. This is where he normally sleeps when I go to work. And I'm trying to turn, you know, the downstairs basement into a music studio slash podcasting studio. I want to start doing phoners and Skype interviews. I'm trying to up the ante with this podcast because there's a ton of bands coming into town that I would love to talk to. And the only way to get good at this is to keep doing it. So tonight is a momentous independent-minded podcast. We take a huge step forward into actual independence. And speaking of which, you can, of course, hear the podcast on iHeartRadio, on iTunes, I started posting episodes to SoundCloud because I am in control now. That doesn't mean I'm gonna steer this podcast to the stars, but ever since I moved down to DC a couple months ago, I've really had to make the choice about what I wanna do and what direction I wanna steer this podcast in. And it's been a new experience to go to the venues to talk to these artists. And so far, my experience has been you know, the bands are sound checking. They're backstage at venues. Everybody's kind of probably in a different sort of frame of mind before they play a show. They're all in the middle of tours, so they're probably a little world-weary. I'm that guy now. I'm the guy with the microphone and the little recorder and the headphones who wants to talk about the eighth track on the second album that came out in 1994 and inspired me to write this song that I put on my album in 2004. So I'm drinking a little whiskey tonight because I'm finally able to actually do that while I record this, without getting into trouble, potentially. Now the big brother's no longer watching. Episode 82 of the Independent Minded Podcast. Find out more about it, baldfreak.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at baldfreakmusic, see lots of pictures of my dog. And I wanna give a quick shout to the Dark Life Experience blog. They're based out of Germany. They just featured my single, Unity. For my last album I got a Rock On their blog God bless Germany I Google translated the review Yet you have to know German To read it otherwise A piece That arouses emotions And casts a spell Over the listener And then they also use the phrase Soulful intensity I like that it Makes me sound like the Fonz Hey. And yeah I just released A quote unquote single From the album that I put out At the end of 2017 It's called Unity it's out on soundcloud check it out soundcloud.com slash bald freak leave a kind five star review on itunes and i'll send you a cookie and if you'd like to be featured on the podcast or if you're in a band or you know somebody in a band who you think would be cool for the podcast hit me up at bron at baldfreak.com. and even though i try to seek out my idols and cool bands that i grew up listening to predominantly this is an equal opportunity podcast here if it's your cousin's cousin in a local band and i think it's cool I'm not going for the follows. I did, however, follow Michael Rault, singer-songwriter from Canada, to the Miracle Theater in some area of Washington, D.C. that I don't even know what it is, but I walked there from work, and I met Michael Ralt, who's on tour in support of his new album, It's a New Day Tonight, and you'll hear a song from it in just a sec. And we set up shop in a nursery, a baby nursery, at the Miracle Theater, definitely taking the cake, at least thus far, for oddest place for me to interview an artist. Fortunately, there were no babies in there, so I got a nice clear signal. (laughs) And I got to talk with Michael Ralt for about a half hour. We talk about Harry Nielsen, our shared love of the man. How he got signed to Dap Tone Records, a fantastic label that, if you don't know, is home to the late and great Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Studios in Brooklyn, so we talked about my hometown, specifically Bushwick, where all the hipsters are hanging out nowadays. He also talks about being a Canadian tour in the States. And how he's not fancy enough for Williamsburg. Join the club, pal. I'm not even fancy enough for Bay Ridge. Going to kick it off with I'll Be There from the new album, It's a New Day Tonight. Then my conversation with Michael Ralt right here on Independent Minded. Let's go. It's Ronnie Galzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Galzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make our music. He's plugging their projects. He's making their Famous, She's helping them out just by making them talk about all the bullshit that they do. a nursery, like a baby nursery, inside the Miracle Theater in downtown Washington, D.C. It's my first time here. I'm sitting in here with Michael Ralt. Do you have children? No, I don't. I was going to guess no, No. but I thought I might as well ask since we're in a nursery. I'm
1: almost 30. I could have kids.
0: Do you think people just kind of come in here and go to shows and drop their babies off, or is this some sort of- private business going on in here.
1: I don't know what the deal is. This place is also run by a church, so maybe it has something to do with, like, maybe they run the, the nursery up here when they're doing the church stuff. I don't know. It's a
0: religious thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably religious. Every remote interview I've been doing since I moved down here to D.C. has just been kind of this interesting experience of where am I going to set up shop and where am I going to talk to people? And Michael Ralt, you have certainly taken the cake here with the nursery at the Miracle Theater. You're not I performing plan- in here, are you?
1: <laughs> no, not performing up here.
0: I don't think you do children's music yet, do you? I mean, that's a reputable business right now. You Not yet. I
1: it. might do it. You know, like, I like Nielsen's The Point a lot, so maybe I just go full out and just make a, a cartoon children's version oh, of it. Oh, you like Nielsen's The
0: Point? That's I love Harry album. Nielsen. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing my Harry Nielsen hat right now. Oh, yeah. It looks great. Not a lot of people know The Point, and I imagine you're kind of on the younger side, so the fact that you know what that is, is already, is, I'm already impressed.
1: I didn't even know about it when I was a kid. It was something <laughs> that, like, I think my parents knew about it when they, like, when they were younger, but then... They didn't show it to me when I was a kid, but someone showed it to me recently, so I got into it as an adult.
0: For the Harry Nielsen layman, it's an animated movie.
1: There's a movie and the record, which I strangely have never seen the movie. I've just listened to the record.
0: That he does the score yeah. for, and he's- Like he
1: wrote the whole original album. Yeah, he's and intimately story. involved
0: with the whole thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I actually bought the album for Gabe Roth's kids when we were mixing the record out at Gabe Roth Deptone Guys studio out on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, I want to Got talk along about with that. his kids staying at his house, and I was like, oh, I should get them this record, so. I How ordered. did you get
0: turned on to Harry Nilsson?
1: It was actually through Max, who plays in US Girls, who we're on tour with. I mean, I think I'd heard about him before, but he put on the point, particularly, when we were on tour, coming down through this area actually it was like five years ago or something we were touring with his old band slim twig going down to play hopscotch festival which we all just played yesterday with us opening up for us girls now so we're on different bands but on the same bills together so uh yeah it was actually kind of a reunion right now of hearing that album
0: if you are still exploring i got to give you two recommendations and this is for everyone out there uh harry nielsen fantastic singer songwriter with the voice of an angel from predominantly the 70s uh, I think John Lennon said he was basically, Harry Nielsen was his like favorite singer. Yeah, yeah. John Lennon was uh, out drinking with him often, and the guy drank like a fish. The documentary, Who Is Harry Nielsen? I haven't seen it yet. I've heard okay. it's great. All right, good. And um, there's another animated special from the 80s that is very close to my heart. It's called Ziggy's Gift. And Harry Nielsen does the soundtrack to that Christmas special, and it will melt your... Cold little heart, my (laughs) world. I'm looking forward to this. If you like the points, then uh, you know, smoke a bone and check out Ziggy's gift one night around Christmas time, especially. uh, Right on. You'll enjoy. That sounds great. So we're in Washington DC, but you, my friend, are from Montreal, Canada.
1: Yeah, that's where I live these days. I'm originally from Edmonton, Alberta. A lot of bands have come out of there. Like ah, go Oilers. Yep, exactly. That's my team I cheer for. You know, from there we've had Mac DeMarco and Home Shake and. Uh, a few prominent people come out of there. And then in Montreal, there's a thriving scene. A lot of them are from Edmonton, but there's a lot of people also from elsewhere and also from Montreal and uh, lots of things going on in Toronto where I've also lived. But those are the three cities I can speak on with some authority because I've lived in all three, but all really cool scenes going on.
0: I've been to Toronto a few times. I really like the arts and music scene there, although I've only been there as a tourist and a part-time musician way back in the day. But um, I've never been to Montreal. I was supposed to go there in 2008 on a bachelor party and I was shot down by my ex because she was worried that there were too many strip clubs. Is that true? Are there too many strip clubs in Montreal?
1: It is a famous strip club city. All it's right. also a big organized crime city. It's kind of a seedy, wild city, but it's great. It's oh, it could beautiful, have been a beautiful, beautiful place. a good place for a basketball. Yeah, it would have been fun. We you went down in some serious trouble.
0: And I took a dump in a Walmart bathroom on the way back from Dodger Stadium. But that's a different story for another <laughs> podcast. Uh, I was just recently turned on to your new album. It's called A New Day Tonight. It's A New Day Tonight. Where do you go to discover new music? Do you go to the usual haunts or is it just more of a word of mouth thing amongst? friends and fellow musicians and stuff like that.
1: I'm lucky to have a lot of music aficionados in my surrounding group. My rhythm section, Jay and Matt, uh, they're both insane record collectors and just insane musical encyclopedias. So I feel like Hanging out with them, they're always turning me on to new things every time we go on tour, which is great. That's not always the case with bands. And uh, besides that, I'll just go to record stores and, and flip through, especially places that are have used records so you can just listen to them. And then also, I you know, I have a Spotify account. So I do all the things, the new things, the old things, the word of mouth. I just try to find new music as much as I can.
0: Spotify's come up often in conversations. It's a blessing and a curse, I would say. A blessing in the sense that it's just this instantaneous music encyclopedia. If you hear about a band or an artist where someone recommends something, you can just go and listen. The Mm -hmm. same could be said for everything from YouTube to Bandcamp. What's your opinion of that? You you probably grew up in an era where that's kind of been the norm, but I've talked to a lot of artists who've come into that era where music has completely been devalued in a sense, at least recorded music.
1: Well, I mean, it was different for me because I started getting into records when I was probably about Twelve and also an underground bands as well. That was when I first started running into like going to HMV, which we have up in Canada, and being like, "Oh, I want to order this band," and they'd be like, "That's not even in our system." And then I was like, "Okay, how do you? What do you do here?" So I had to find independent record stores and then start ordering. Special order something. Yeah, and so I went through that a little bit when I was younger, and then you know the internet came in when I was like everybody started using like MySpace and stuff to post their bands and everything when I was fifteen or something. So then I walked through the whole progression of having a MySpace, having a Facebook, getting everything on Spotify and such. So I don't know. Spotify is great for touring though, because you can just download new albums all the time and listen to new music constantly. Whereas any other alternative besides, you know, internet-based things, you can't really just be constantly turning over your record collection while you're on the road. So
0: of course, as a fan, it's great. Mm. But as an artist, does it concern you? I always have this issue. I have put a couple albums out and I don't tour. You know, I work a day job. And my whole thing is that It's so easy to get lost in the shuffle now because the shuffle is just tremendous, massive. Mm, Yeah. And even if you like a band, I've probably listened to your new album four or five times, mostly because I knew I was going to come interview you tonight and I wanted to be prepared, but also because, you know, I dig it. Mm -hmm. But I'm probably listening to... I've probably listened to 25 to 30 other albums in the past 72 hours just as an occupational hazard because, oh, the new Alice in Chains is out and I love Alice in Chains or here's seven other bands that a PR company told me to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Does it concern you that people just kind of don't spend as much time as they should, at least in my opinion with music?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I guess if it was different and it was you had to actually buy the album to hear it, then less people would hear it probably, unless you just got to the place where you really differentiated yourself and managed to get to a place where people were buying your record in droves and, and listening to it endlessly, which is cool. If you could get there, I'm sure that's amazing. Um, I don't know how much it's changed because I feel like you just need the onus is on me as an artist or anybody else who's making records to like make a record that people really get into because even in this day and age I mean I've fallen in love with albums that I don't own I'm sorry to say there's been times where I've been too broke to buy the album even though I should probably have bought it but yeah I know (laughs) I've fallen in love with uh, albums that I've listened to like endlessly on like a YouTube stream or something especially when I was younger and I'd listened to it like you know like hundreds of times and never even owned it so I mean At the end of the day, if you make something that somebody really just resonates with, they're gonna spend a lot of time with it. It's always been hard. I think it's always been hard to like stand out in the world, but there is a lot on the internet now, so maybe harder.
0: Do you find other ways to support those artists in ways that you couldn't because you don't buy their album or is you still broke?
1: Nowadays, I'll buy stuff usually. If I like something, I buy it. When I was younger, when I first moved to Toronto and I was just totally broke, I was just like, it wasn't really an option to be spending more money on different things uh, besides groceries and hopefully keeping the rent paid. Yeah, nowadays, you know, I think, like, the, a great template to follow, I think, as a music fan, is just to, like, buy the album and go out to see the show. Like, listen to it as many times as you want anywhere, even download it illegally if you have to, whatever. I just think then at the end of that, wow, just go. Wow, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, mean, I mean, you don't even have to because it's on Spotify and you can listen well, to it first. Well, that's the you know, point. Like,
0: like, back then, like, it was such a taboo thing, piracy, but yeah. now it's like, I, I don't, you know, it's just at the touch of a button now. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I feel like as long as you go buy the album when the band comes in and go see them, then that's great. I mean, I think everybody just wants to have their music have. People pay attention to it and then have them hopefully give you some money at some point in time for it so you can stay alive and keep making music.
0: Well, that's my thing. More recently than not has been, if I love a band, I'm going to go to the show. And now you you selling merch tonight? Like you selling- Yeah. You have any vinyl?
1: We have records. We have tapes. We have CDs. We have pins and we have t-shirts.
0: I'm going to buy It's a New Day Tonight on vinyl tonight. I just got a new turntable. That's how you got to support artists at this point is just buy something by them or come to the shows because music at this point is- (laughs) Yeah,
1: you kind of need to go on tour to make money. And so hopefully then people come out and give you money when you're on
2: tour.
0: (laughs) All right, let's veer away from economy. Let's let's talk about this album. Uh, I'm going to read a quote from you. Musically, it came out of a period of dissatisfaction creatively and personally, as I found myself pushing against the limitations of my abilities and approaches to making music. I've been in that situation before. I'm sure a ton of musicians have been in that situation before. What were those limitations for you as a songwriter that resulted in an album that's very dense. I hate this cliche, it's used often and I try to avoid it, but it does have like a retro sound mm-hmm. and it's super solid. So obviously whatever that period was, you came out of it like a butterfly at the end of it. But what was holding you back up until the point where you kind of got in the groove and you started working at Daptone Records in yeah. the studio?
1: I mean, part of it was finding a place to record. I moved to Montreal in the middle of writing this record and trying to figure it out, and I moved into a situation where I wasn't able to record easily. So I was kind of just making very limited home recordings, and I went through a couple different things, recording at different places before I settled on recording at Daptone. And as soon as that came together, it just like they liked the record and they got behind it and wanted to like invest time into it. So that made a huge difference. Was just being able to actually have engineers and feedback from people I could trust who were able to help me get it to a really good place. That was a big thing. But then also just, yeah, just trying to write songs that were better than what I'd written before, trying to get more into being a real songwriter, a real singer. I think I've gotten a lot better at singing, especially because like Daptone's so analog. It was just kind of like, you know, previously in my life, there was a lot of like, oh, I can't really sing this that well, but I'll get it good when I play it live and we'll chop up the vocal a whole bunch, but this was more like, I need to be able to sing all of these layered vocals. It made you raise
0: the bar. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. You know, I'm getting a little bit older and I feel like there's a certain amount of kind of like a feeling of being, am I actually going to be a real songwriter and a real singer and a real, you know, do all the things to like a real level for somebody who does this for their life's work. So there's just a lot of that, a lot of running into limitations, seeing that I was doing things poorly in certain ways and just being like, I need to do that better. And every one of those things just takes however many hours of work to get them to the place that it actually is working. And so there's a lot of that. Once you get through that, there's a clear sense of being like, oh cool, I just needed to do that work and I put it all together. But when you haven't done it yet, there's a sense of kind of being like, can I actually do this or is this yeah, going to work out horribly? A ton of self-doubt. Yeah. yeah. Is this a huge waste of all my time and I should just go try to pursue another career right I'm now? I'm not so, the only one
0: that feels that way. I think
1: everybody <laughs> feels that way. So that was like, there was a lot of that going on. So that was the, I think, a lot of the dissatisfaction.
0: Let's give the listeners a little background here because we're kind of jumping ahead. You're signed to Wick Records, which is the rock spin off of Dap Tone Records. And if you don't know Dap Tone Records, um, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, These were the guys who played on Amy Winehouse's Back to Black album. Wayne Gordon is the guy who discovered you. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we got in touch and and decided to book some recording time. And then he was the one who spearheaded signing me.
0: So let's take off your humility hat for a second. What do you think these guys saw in you that made them extend their services and, and an offer like that? Were you looking to get signed?
1: At the time, I wasn't. I was actually just looking to book some recording time. I figured that I would book time there and do really good sounding like beginnings of the recordings, beds and whatever else we could get done and then bring it back and finish it somewhere that I could afford to work for longer yeah. back in Canada. And did
0: they help you out with that? I mean, I'm sure it's not cheap to record at Daptone Records. Well,
1: at the beginning, I was just paying like, a. I think they gave me a bit of a deal, but I was just paying them. And then, so I went down there and then over the course of just paying them, It was kind of funny because it was like this feeling of being like, they're saying that it sounds good, but I'm also paying them. So I was kind of like, I've been there tons of times. So I'm kind (laughs) of like, okay, cool. Like they don't seem to hate it. It seems relatively genuine, but you know. Right,
0: you're not paying them the (laughs) shit on your Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So then at some point throughout the first week, I was going to book a second week, but I think by the time we finished the first week of working together, me and Wayne went out and had some drinks and he was kind of like, I think you should just finish this here and we should sign it. That's great. He's like, I got to get it approved by some people, but I think you should do it. And I don't know why that was. I mean, it all just seemed really natural and we got along really well and they liked what I was doing. And I guess I had some affirmation of the fact that I guess what I was doing wasn't entirely terrible. <laughs> so the uh, <laughs> that was a nice feeling. It was all really natural, but it is funny. I've talked to other people who have been like, I know some people who went down to record at that studio and they didn't sign that record. So it's like, it is kind of a special thing, yeah, but it course. felt really, felt really normal and just kind of like, oh yeah, we get along well. Let's just keep working on the record. And they wanted to do it and I'm really happy they did.
0: Yeah. So am I, cause it sounds great. Now the studios are in Brooklyn.
1: Uh, yeah, it's in Bushwick.
0: That's where all the hipsters are hanging out in Brooklyn nowadays. I'm actually from that area. How long did it take you to make the record?
1: It was like on and off over the course of about a year.
0: Okay, so you spent a lot of time in Brooklyn. I spent Brooklyn.
1: a lot of time in, in Brooklyn, yeah. What Most, do you think? I mean, I like it a lot. It's cool. I think, like, Bushwick isn't as, like, overwhelming as Williamsburg is, obviously. So it's like, I know that it is, like, gentrified <laughs> or whatever. I don't really know what it well, was like what before. What does overwhelming mean? <laughs> I mean, Williamsburg is just, like, really, like it's just too fancy for me. Like, I can just tell that I can't afford to be there for too long. Like I go there and hang out for a little bit, but I'm like, I'm going to have to leave before midnight or something. Yeah.
0: You're 10 years too late. 10 years ago, Williamsburg was Bushwick. Yeah. And Greenpoint and that whole area has become a kind of Mecca for artists and live music and right. hipster food and yeah. beards and tight jeans. It's and-
1: totally fun. I mean, but but Williamsburg is almost like past the point. Like it's almost like it's oh, yeah. just a looks. It doesn't even look cool anymore in no, some it's ways. Not. It's kind of like this just feels like a really expensive shopping mall or something. But I mean, it's yeah. kind of cool. Like there's still cool things there. I'm not trying to diss everybody it's or anything, cool. but maybe a little bit. Bushwick seems cool. I know that for like the Daptone guys, they've been there for years. Like when they moved in, it was just they could get this house for super cheap and, and do this. So I think for them, it's funny because the whole place has suddenly become a lot more hip and everything around them. But I mean, there's also more restaurants to eat at, I think. I think before they didn't have many (laughs) places. They are just going to the bodega on the corner before when they were working on sessions. And now it's like, we have all these different places we can go.
0: Now, this is your second album. Your first album, Living Daylight, came out in 2015. Did you tour to support that album?
1: Yeah, we managed to, we kind of just like forced that one and managed to get it on the road for like over a hundred shows that year. Wow. And that was just kind of us. Like we had an agent and stuff, but it was like, I don't know if the demand was fully there, but we were just kind of like, we'll do everything. And right. we just did everything that so came our So the dedication way. was there early on. I mean, the thing is, it's really tough as a Canadian to get down into the States. And that's what you want ever since you're like 18 and you start doing it. So by the time I was like, 24, 25. I can't remember when I, how old I was, but we got signed to Burger Records for the last record. And that was our first American deal. And our agents convinced them to pay for a visa for us, which we could never afford or get because we just didn't have the credentials to like convince the government to let us come down here and play music. So we had it all kind of line up. We got a bit of press. We convinced them. And as soon as we finally got the visa and it was paid for, it was just like we had the first one we just had for a year. And I was just like, we need to play all the time in the States. Like we just need to say yes to everything and get as many shows as we can because touring Canada is slightly bleak because it's very, very sparsely populated. So you're just like driving for hours and hours and hours to play in smaller cities than when you're touring the States, you can drive for way less hours and then play a bigger city. So Everything's
0: much more spread out, yeah, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, so that's like, it's a little bit tough to try to make a go of it only touring in Canada. So I just knew I needed to kind of seize that opportunity.
0: Some of your tour mates include US Girls Tonight, but you've also performed with, the late, great Charles Bradley, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, uh, Dent May, who I've had on the podcast, who's a very interesting character, also has kind of a retro sound. Yeah. What have you learned on the road as an opening act? Have you learned from these artists at all? Or is it just like, I'm just happy to be here?
1: I've uh, definitely learned. I feel like we got really lucky getting in with a booking agency that was tied into, like, the styles that we liked. So we got to tour with people like King Gizzard and just toured with a guy named Jaco Gardner that was really inspiring. He's from the Netherlands. It was clear that for, like, psych, rock and roll live oriented bands that we were touring with a lot of the best bands in the world over time that's been proven by the fact of like you know king gizzard's huge now so that they were already kind of big but now they're like massive and so that was really cool just to be able to be on the same stage as them and be like these guys are amazing and everybody in the world is slowly figuring out that they're one of the best rock bands in the whole world and they like are supportive of us and like us. Yeah,
0: you get a front row seat to that.
1: Yeah, and you get to see it every night and you realize that you're like, whoa, we can kind of, I think it must be like making it into like the pros of any sport. I watch hockey, so I'd say the NHL, but it's like, it must feel like getting a call up to that and being like, I was able to play in the game with those guys who are the best in the world. I wasn't as good as them, but if I work on these things, then maybe we could go up there more often. So it definitely felt like getting a taste of and seeing this every night of like what you needed to do to do it really well. And uh, we've tried to live up to that. I think we're getting better and and better at it.
0: Well, it's certainly a diverse group of artists. You know, it's hard to create some sort of category and niche for your type of music. Obviously, indie rock is the most general way I can put it. But as I mentioned before, you kind of have that retro sound. Uh, I hear stuff like the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the Kinks and the Hollies.
1: Yeah, yeah, Did totally. Do you grow up
0: with that music? Like, who are your influences and inspirations as a singer and a songwriter? Uh,
1: a lot of those people. I like songwriting that is, in a way, isn't really, in a mainstream sense, a modern thing nowadays. Like, people are doing it everywhere, as you mentioned, like Dent May and all these different bands we're talking about. But modern radio rock doesn't really use harmonically intriguing chord changes to my mind very often Yeah, occasionally you hear something there's definitely the occasional song that I'm like whoa they managed to sneak some cool stuff into that and get it on the radio
0: no no one would agree with you more my friend yeah (laughs) and
1: like it's that's fine I guess I mean in a way I kind of think it's I've recently thought about how it would be kind of cool to study the way that they use harmony in modern songs to try to figure like I guess I had like some music school friends like explaining to me that they just don't move away from the main note of the song very much and like whereas you know a lot of these old songs we think are classic and catchy are like going all over the place and like using a lot of harmonic ideas and I don't know. I really also like musicianship. I really like to hear instruments played for whatever reason. Some people would call me a, you know, a Luddite. Yeah, yeah, nerd or (laughs) just a caveman of some sort, some sort of -of out-of-date person but I just really (laughs) like... What idiot would say such a thing? You know, I mean, to a certain degree, I don't mind being called retro because it is somewhat true but at the same time, it's like, at least in like the hip magazines and stuff, if it was just all done with synths, people would be like, oh, it's modern but it's like, well, people have been doing synth records since like the 70s. But if you do it with a guitar, everyone's like, well, it's just so like far out and old school. And you're like, it's just <laughs> a different instrument. I don't know. Like I, there's no way to use it without people thinking old to For a certain degree. a
0: better term, I guess it sounds more classic. Yeah, totally. I wouldn't say old because yeah, craft work has been around since the 70s. Right. Talking heads just screw around with a bunch of synths and, and loops and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's the most important thing to you as a musician? Is self-sustaining enough or do you think about setting your sights higher? This is obviously a big step for you. Uh, The second album, you're getting good press. You know, where do you ultimately want to be as an artist five, 10 years from now?
1: I want to be successful, like very successful to a degree, but mostly just because I want to be able to do more creative things. I want to have more resources to be able to be like, if I want to use a seven piece string section on every song of my next record, then I just want to be able to be like, let's do that. Whereas now it's always a little bit of a balance between like, well, how much money are we going to make on this thing and how much money do we want to put into it? You know, everybody's got to like be somewhat realistic.
0: Indie musicians lament.
1: Yeah. And so whereas (laughs) I just like to be more and more free and just being able to like, you know, I mean, right now our stage show is very simple. We just play the songs for the most part and stuff. But if we wanted to do something crazier, it'd be fun to just be like, hey, why don't we just put a little bit more money into doing something crazier? I just think it would be cool to be as uninhibited with what we do. That'd be nice to just be able to be free to like, explore all areas of creativity with this thing it's not so much because i'm like oh i just want to have like you know a fancy car and like i mean nice clothes would be nice but i just mostly just <laughs> want to like but that would mostly be part of like wanting to look a particular way on stage or whatever so i would just like to do well with mike it if it needs can. a
0: new wardrobe yeah <laughs> as my dad often says one of his uh, many great phrases uh money greases the wheels of happiness
1: in a lot of ways it does I, mean, I wouldn't it's not say all happiness
0: it. in this case, but maybe if creativity and the ability to have better gear and, experiment more as a musician is what makes you happy then maybe my dad knows what he's talking about
1: yeah that's true that is something that's important to me so i'd like to hopefully see that continue on in that direction
0: we're in a nursery at the miracle theater you're going on stage in about 15 minutes so i want to wrap it up okay i mean unless you don't want to play the show and you just want to hang out (laughs) in the nursery for the (laughs) rest rest of the day i'm glad we got to talk inside the miracle theater it's a miracle indeed there's no babies under the seats here i don't think so we're just gonna quietly shut the lights off and leave and then uh ten minutes from now I'm gonna be in the crowd. what's it like down there? Is it is it general admission? I think so.
1: I don't know. I, you just sound cool jerk, though. Didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's got there you is seating but I don't know if you're assigned to your seat. I don't think so. I think it's general.
0: I wanna see it. I'm old. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's definitely seating. It's nice, it's kinda of cool. We're playing in an actual theater, like a movie theater.
0: Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, Montreal, yeah. Canada's Michael Ralt the album's called it's a new day tonight congratulations i love it and i'm looking forward to seeing you tonight and hearing what comes next
1: right on thanks very much good
2: night your waking day is done sleep tight say goodbye to everyone when you were asleep i dreamed
0: by michael ralt earlier in the podcast we heard i'll be there i want to thank michael ralt for being a gentleman in the great conversation the folks at the miracle theater for letting us use their crib get it rachel weldon from kelp management and nick and john from dap tone records for helping to put the interview together find out more about michael and the new album michael facebook.com slash michael and on instagram at michael underscore ralt that's a lot of Rault. Next time on Independent Minded, I talk to Scott Lucas from Zion, Illinois, alternative rock institution, Local H, backstage at the Rock and Roll Hotel, while his drummer rolls up some weed and doesn't offer me any. Get some sour cream and onion chips with some dip, man, some beef jerky some peanut butter, get some Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars, a whole lot of hot, make sure chocolate, gotta have chocolate, man. Some popcorn, red popcorn, graham crackers. Graham crackers, with the marshmallows, the little marshmallows and the little chocolate bars, and we'll make some s'mores, man.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, y'all. <laughs> also,
0: celery, grape jelly, uh, Captain Crunch with the little crunch berries. Pizzas, we need two big pizzas, man. Everything on them with water, whole lot of water, and...